Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for concept two. Today's concept is family. I'm here with Ethan Harden. Ethan is a young theologian with wisdom beyond his years. We're in church ministry together on staff together. He focuses on the next generation and next generation ministry. Hey, Ethan. Hey, wow, that was generous. <laughs> <laughs> so first question right out of the gate, even though we're going to be simplifying it, let's go into what seems to be a simple opening question and yet one of the most difficult to answer in the whole world. Who are you? Ah, okay. Wow. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I'm a bearded ginger <laughs> father of two. Um, I have a son and a daughter, mm. uh, three and, and uh, oh my gosh, how old is Rowan? He's 11 months old. I obviously haven't been getting enough sleep. Um, between and, zero and one. Yeah, between zero. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And uh, a beautiful wife who uh, who writes and um, is just, uh, yeah, it, got, a, got a fun family. We moved here to Boone um, for college and then we came back, uh, you know, on staff here at the heart and, mm -hmm. and it's been, been a fun journey. Didn't know what we wanted to do with our lives. Came back to, uh, ministry was, uh, I feel like the word call is kind of an interesting word, but mm -hmm. just the opportunities arose and our community wanted us to serve and we entered ministry and just, it's been, it's been a fun journey ever since. Um, I am the son of a carpenter, mm. uh, like Jesus was, but <laughs> this carpenter was probably not quite as, um, good, good of a father as Joseph. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, my, my dad, we can dad, talk about we, that another yeah, time. We can, yeah, we can, we can, yeah. <laughs> but my, yeah, my, I'm a twin. So I grew up, you know, me and my mom and my yeah. twin and my dad died when I was young and, right. um, anyway, have a supportive stepfather, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Henderson County native. Anybody listen in Henderson County? <laughs> woot woot. Um, like six generations on either side. So, so family I'm pretty mean, local. <laughs> yeah, you, your, your own connection with the word family is deep and wide and sure. complex. Yes. And probably evokes positive and negative emotions. Absolutely. Is that led, do you think that that's led to your emphasis on family? Because I know you, you, know, you really study a lot of that and think about that you a lot. You know, I, I do. I do think it has uh, shaped the way I view both in an encouraging light and a real light, the mm. story of family throughout the biblical narrative, mm -hmm. there's a lot of broken families. There's yep. a lot of broken family systems yep. and God redeems and repurposes all of it. So, uh, where I've felt a great poverty of some sense in yep. some aspects of family, say, you know, father figure, right. um, I have been provided, um, through not only, um, the biblical sense of knowing God, um, as father, but my own connection with my church families. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, uh, my wife's side of the family had been through divorce and seeking what is, the, I think in some ways that was the real question is who is our family? And yeah. at that time, our church family helped us cope with that in a way that was, just beautiful and um yeah yeah Fam the the church experiencing church as family has helped put meat and bones on the notion that family is important to god and a means yeah. for knowing him 
Yeah, let's walk through some of the things that you've shared recently. And, and again, anyone listening, just realize Ethan and I have talked about these things a lot. And we talked about so many theological concepts together that this conversation is hopefully kind of an overflow that people are listening in on. But let's start with, I guess, your premise that you shared recently with me and with a, a group of people that God invented family. Yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. So... So the Bible begins with a family. Um, God made man and woman in his image and his likeness. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna, I'll get back to that notion in a minute. But mm-hmm. we see all throughout Genesis a f- emphasis of the, the story of humanity through the lens of one family at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know... I I don't I think the means of telling the biblical narrative is also um, important. It's not just a limitation of narrative. I think there's mm. something theological that is embedded in this sense of following out God's redemptive plan from one family. So that's really let me stop you for a sec because I always wrestle with this: is that it was God revealing Himself through the context that people already had or did God come up with the context mm, of what mm. people had, you know? I, yeah, I, I would say yes and yes, <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I think the, the, the way we find ourselves living in family, it's by no means that we found ourselves there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think that, as we'll see throughout the biblical narrative, this emphasis on family being a way to actually see our relationship with God, mm. um, not only each other, but God. So yeah, biblical narrative, family, God created family. It's really interesting when you compare it to the other cultural contexts, uh, other creation narratives, other, uh, I think they call them anthropologies. Where do human, where does human life come from? And the, in the ancient Near East, the biblical narrative is the only one that would say that we're all related to each other. Mm. Um, I, I have to say my token joke, as we know that already in Southern Appalachia, uh, that we're all related. Um, anyway, but uh, you are the stereotype. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could talk about we could talk about that. Well, but. I think that has beautiful implications <laughs> for and all all the tension, not only in our culture here in the United States, but you know the history of civilization it has implications for conversations of race, yep. tribes. Yep. And it's okay to have, it's, it's not okay, it's beautiful to have distinctions, yeah. but we are connected and related yeah. to one another. Yeah. Yeah, we need to celebrate each other like we would celebrate our brothers, our cousins, our weird uncles. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I so biblical narrative, background, family, human, human life, family being, uh, you know, that distinct uh, look at family life. And then... One of the things that I've got to pause and talk about in terms Mm -hmm. of Genesis is the the language of image and likeness. So, you know, Genesis 1, God made mankind in his image and likeness. And those words are really loaded. Mm -hmm. Um, Image, uh, you know, the the, the word behind that is often associated with statuary. Mm. So when a king would advance their land and take over other nations they would install a statue an image of themselves and they therefore that image is actually a royal representation 
of their own reign. Fascinating. So when we see, especially we talk about New Testament, you know, start bridging the concepts and the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and who is saying that it's Jesus, it's humanity fulfilled in uh, divine nature of being fulfilling human, human nature um, that we carry in each human life not only the likeness of God, but we are announcing his reign on the earth. And when you see our human brothers and sisters through that lens, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can dismiss them for. Hmm. You, you have to take seriously every annoying phone call, every, every human being tied to that telemarketing voice. Yeah. <laughs> every, <laughs> yeah. every person you pass by that asks you for money, we're talking about someone that in some way innately represents God's own dominion. Yeah, and I would say um, there's an added person that would be the annoying one that we need to remember is the one in the mirror. Ah. I think oftentimes <laughs> that it's like, I know for me, it's like yeah. I will extend grace sure. to everyone sure. except myself, sure. you know? Sure. So that's good. So it's almost, uh, we're, we're, the, we're the statues and we were animated. Yeah. Come, yeah. Lead into come to yeah. life statues representing yeah. that king. I guess no, I guess we wouldn't be representing him in our disobedience or our no you know, but, yeah but still, oh yeah yeah uh, the the essence of the true the true us sure true sure. uses that's sure. not a word we we have to hold intention that truth with obviously the the predominant uh, one of the most overwhelming emphasis of the Bible is that human nature is imperfect you know yeah. that we're fallen and that over and over and over again we fail to live up to representing God fully. But image and likeness, so image, likeness, that word pair is really interesting because it's used again. It pops up again in um, Genesis chapter 5, um, verse 3, Adam had lived 130 years when he had a son in his own likeness and in his own image. There we go. Okay, so we are seeing the same word pair tied to Adam's son, which I believe here, yeah, Seth, um, the thirdborn. Um, this means that not only does that language carry royal ambassador language of the ancient Near East, it also means sonship. So that the, uh, or maybe, maybe because it's male and female, sonship is a loaded word. <laughs> mm -hmm. Kinship. It, yeah, yeah. We, we are sons and daughters of, of God. Is that what that's saying? Like Seth was with Like Adam. Seth was now, here's a, here's a little wrench to throw in it it well let me ask did it use that language with cain and abel no i don't think it was described with cain so and do abel. we assume also with cain and abel or do we somehow now think seth has a different status than cain and abel hmm i that's a great question i i would say that what we see in in chapter five is a return to the redemptive narrative uh -huh. whereas Cain and Abel episode kind of is a is a sequel to the fall narrative. Right. Um, chapter five yeah. returns into the advancement of specifically the original. Mur immediate murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and I will say, just caveat there, it's not incredibly clear in the English, but in the Hebrew, the prepositions are reversed. Hmm. So we are as God's likeness, not in. What does that mean? Um, I think the it. it there's a the word pair flips and the 
the prepositions are, are slightly different. So I, I, I see a, the same language, but catered to, um, to Adam in a way that's more direct mm-hmm. than, than of God. Wow. Um, so it's even in the little nitty gritty details, it's kind of suggesting we are not, we are not God's image. That language is reserved. We are in his image, but we are not his image. That language is only reserved in the new Testament. We see that attributed to Christ. Yeah. Visible Um, version of the the fully divine human form, God redeeming mankind. So does that mean that we don't look like God, (laughs) but we are like God? Okay, I yeah, I think image in our language ends up kind of carrying the connotation of of visible appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what if we are in the image of an invisible God? Then maybe the invisible things about us um, yeah. are the things that communicate God's character. Which is, um, I would I would say that our invisible characteristics or our you know the way we are. Or, yeah. That's us. Yeah. That's who we are. Yeah. The way we look changes. Yeah. 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 And, and well, I guess some of our characteristics change too. So I guess that falls apart. But I guess what I'm saying is that this, this thing on the outside of me doesn't define me. Yeah. Yeah. But I am, I have a real me. Sure. A true sure. self. Sure. And that is maybe what this is speaking to. Okay. So this is, this is, there's two things I want to yeah. bounce off that. The one thing is, um, to throw a wrench in the idea that image that we are not, mm. uh, that it's only invisible. Mm-hmm. God, and I don't, it, some people view it as strictly um, uh, figurative language, mm-hmm. but God chooses to define, uh, you see throughout scripture, the strong arm of God, right. the face of God. There's a lot of face language, presence and face, similar word, same right word. Right hand, um, back. Yeah, yeah. So God has these what they call anthropomorphisms. Yeah. So it's interesting because there are times where God is intentionally picking up language of humanity to convey his character. So I think, I don't know, but if Jesus is the image of God, does God have a form? Did he simply put it on? That's outside outside of what I'm able, able to, to touch on. But it is interesting. I don't think it's incredibly clear what... It, do we look like God? Um, does he have a, a face? Right. Um, and one thing I constantly wrestle with is in that passage about Jesus being the image of the invisible yeah, God. Yeah. Is, is that referring to the way Jesus of Nazareth looked? Oh, I see. I see. Or if is Jesus is what, what that means in that sentence is the son of God. Sure. Is the image of the invisible God. Sure. Sure. And that may or may not have to do with the way that a Jewish rabbi in the first century Israel sure. from you know, Nazareth physically looked. Sure, sure. Yeah, and yeah, I, in terms of the, if if we are going to carry some of the physical connotations of image in, mm-hmm. look at the diversity of humanity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the other, the other thing I wanted to, to tag on with image is that image is often associated with function mm-hmm. that somehow... Um, if you can't function in the role of representation, that maybe you're disqualified from being an image of God. I've heard people talk about that language before. As if, if you cannot perform the functions that God did, say, cultivating and creating. Let's say you're an invalid person. You have disabilities. Uh-huh. That, that I, The connotation of image here is something that is, uh, what is the word they use? 
ontological. It's <laughs> it's it's part of you. It's right. part of your identity. It's not functional. Or not that it dumb it down. No, it's not about what you do. It's who it's who you yes, are. Yes, yes, and not that there's no overflow of identity into what you do but the idea that there's something innate about the just being human yeah you, you carry that's, God's that's a beautiful image. reminder because we talked about race implications yeah. but also yeah. you we have heard stories and seen how there are people who they treat people with disabilities as less than yeah. human and yeah. almost like they don't matter or don't yeah. count and yeah. so that this brings us back into their image bearers uh-huh. their reflection or image uh-huh. of the invisible god also Everything about who they truly are is representing God in the yeah, world. Yeah. And that is yeah. so good for us to remember because in, in some ways, we, if we're thinking selfishly, we can forget that they would have anything to, quote, offer us. Right. And so they're the, therefore, they don't have value. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. It's not just a function. It's, a, yeah. it's an identity. Um, yeah. And so when, when you think about all of the, the mess of what we see in the biblical narrative and the mess in our own hearts... And we put it through the filter of God chose to reveal his, his primary um, relational category for us through the language of royal sonship, royal kinship, that every, every single person innately has val- not only value, but they are God's treasured mm-hmm. representative. And yeah. I just, you know... It, it just starts to dissolve some categories that we build yeah. um, for so people. Um, but yeah, family, it, it rolls throughout the narrative. Uh, it gives us a language to talk about God and our relationship with Him. And um, yeah, it's it obviously means a lot to God to identify Himself in, in those categories. So it goes throughout the scripture and we're not going to try to attack, you know, <laughs> attach every verse to this conversation but where do we go next in this where where else does yeah. it go in the scriptures as far as following this family theme yeah so adam and eve and cain and abel and the drama there big skip uh into the generation of the flood and then um you know after that we have in genesis chapter 10 um the the descendants of noah um shem ham and japheth and they all this is this is the really crazy part, right? This is gonna bother the biologists, but uh, they father nations. So all the nations of mankind listed here as part of one family mm-hmm. that they all stem back to Noah and his family and his three sons, and they populate the known world in this table of nations. No other uh, ancient Near Eastern. A uh, story would say they're all related, and I and I, as far as I'm aware, this encapsulates more geographic space and interest in global geography through the lens of family. Mm-hmm. It's not self-centered. I don't I don't know. You know, we end up seeming to think that the biblical narrative only fo- focuses on Israel with a very kind of you could read it in an ethnocentric way. I just I don't see that. <laughs> yeah, and and even though you know I filter it when I read the scriptures, I oftentimes filter it through well in the in the Hebrew scriptures or Old Testament kind of through this filter or lens of messianic expectation, mm. and so then it makes sense with following a certain family line for the sake of Messiah. But even though that is followed in this in the narrative of the scriptures, those that are outside of that are not dismissed. Right. Right. Hagar. Yeah. And Ishmael, descendants named, 
Dinah. Yeah, yeah. So this the the twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, she's not one of those, but she's she's mentioned. Yeah. And then a yeah. couple chapters later, and here are her descendants. Yeah. So yeah. She, she matters. Her descendants matter. Yeah. Even though the point we're trying to make is following a specific line yes. leading to something. Yes. There are other people. They oh, yeah. all matter. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's really interesting because if we f- go back a little bit and we talk about the the lineage of Cain. Cain's lineage is tracked in, uh, let's see, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 19, Lamech married two women, Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who is the father of those who live in tents and lay, raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, who is the father of all who play the harp and flute. I've still never met a Jubal. <laughs> Zillah, his son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. So we see advancement in... In animal husbandry, musical arts, and metallurgy, all stemming from the fallen line. Uh-huh. So we see part of the original, like, the cultivation of the earth, this partnership with God to to be, uh, you know, I, I dare say the word co-creators or crafters, where we participate in the uh, advancement of his beauty through the creative arts. We see that working through the broken, broken line of Cain. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just think, yeah, there's this constant interest in, as you're saying, like the branches, and of course there is a messianic interest because that's ultimately right after the fall. What will be the means of salvation? We see the mm-hmm. the earliest um, messianic prophecy of um, Eve will bear a descendant who will crush the serpent. And and he he will be stricken too, so which means that the answer to the problem comes through family. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there we go. There's there it is. God again choosing to partner with mankind to bring about His kingdom reign. Mm-hmm. And um, what a what a what more natural of a process <laughs> than right. family life. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're none of us got here without some means of some remnant of the original family right. life. And then and then you've mentioned this before, but that there are certainly people who would be listening that the idea of family is something that brings painful memories. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I, I always think one of the most beautiful, beautiful sentences in the Bible to me is that God sets the lonely in families. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of someone listening and going, but I don't like my family or they don't like me mm-hmm. or I don't have family. Yeah. I, you know, obviously everyone does in the sense of everyone was born from a mother, uh-huh. but they might not know that mother. That mother might not be living. Yeah. But yet God's, God works through family. And then if you don't have family, he sets you in family. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and we don't want to skip ahead too much here, but the, the idea of being grafted in, we'll yeah. talk about in yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, think of, um, you know, as the narrative continues, we see it shaping the way the story is told that this expectation that family will somehow deliver a means of salvation, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about, right. but all the brokenness in between, right. everything, every time it's at jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, uh, when we, when we're approaching David, we see the narrative of Ruth and, um, El, I think, is it El, Elimelech, um, mm-hmm. 
was I'm never good with the uh, pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, his him and his he died, and then his kids died, and then it leaves the the widows, and and this one widow Ruth is from the nation of Moab. You know that she's uh, a widow. She's the wrong kind of person, <laughs> and through the particular interest in God's covenant law, providing for those that are weak and vulnerable, providing for those that are childless. There's all these built-in laws that they follow that we see Boaz live out very well, where because God's particular attention to those who were vulnerable, um, we see Ruth and her faithfulness being wrapped up into the redemptive plan, her finding family. Um, And, you know, it does actually happen to be family in the in the physical sense right. <laughs> but yeah. as we'll talk about in the, in the new testament yeah. maybe family's a little bit even broader than than that strictly uh you know man wife children kind of thing and if anyone's listening they're trying to follow along in the bible we've been skipping around yes. just in case <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we hopped around we hopped around a lot there but that's okay uh, so d- should we talk about do you want to talk about abraham yeah i think yeah. in so, family yeah. context there's so much there a call from god to through his family, when I guess countless descendants to bless the world, bless yeah. the nations. Yeah. So let me, yeah, briefly going back to the narrative, Adam and Eve, and then uh, yeah, proliferation of sin, uh, but then the redemptive uh, family of Noah and his righteousness, and then return to global population, table of nations, and then that sours again, Tower of Babel, but then everything kind of focuses again back to one family and this is where our story stays with this particular family abraham um and and then the rest of genesis is a detailed account of god's workings mm-hmm. with that family through the barrenness through the old age through uh the trouble of of finding a wife through brother conflict all this like blessing and family narrative just gets swept up and and it it seems like at every stage the family that god appointed to do this might be threatening god's plan Mm. they could operate outside of that but as we see god's uh providential uh sweep through the pieces and he he upholds both ends of the covenant with abraham that God is going to work through this family. Mm. And I just, I, I feel like I could pause there and suggest that, you know, I don't think the, the covenant of Abraham is online or at play in every um, family situation, but I believe God can work through the, the worst and the broken and the most threatened of families. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just... He, so there's the primary principle in the primary yeah. context, but yeah. then there's yeah. it shows the nature and character of God, the Absolutely. way he interacts with people, therefore he can do this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it, it just it's just this consistent thing and it's very easy to pick that up in in um in Genesis, the idea that this this the backdrop of this in Genesis is God is going to bring about um a defeat of the enemy through this messianic descendant. It's easier to lose that as the foundation of of family promise 
as we move throughout the narrative. It's a little easier in Genesis. I don't know that, we you know, we read the patriarchs oftentimes like heroes of the faith or, um, you know, exemplary characters that we're supposed to model, but I don't know that that's the main thrust. Um, I think at times they really embody mm -hmm. a, a healthy way of following God. But anyway, um, yeah, it, mo moving along, you know, into Exodus and the, the what is the threat that Exodus opens with? Pharaoh wants to eradicate this family. Mm -hmm. He's threatened by it. Mm. Um, and we see the covenant promises of God in the background of that. And, uh, and though Moses' line is not Jesus' line, it's kind of prefigures in some ways the new, the, giving, the, it, the shape of salvation and the shape mm -hmm. of Messiah. Um, but yeah, it, family, 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 and then tracing all the way through, uh, you know, Judges is hard to read. But everything starts to pick up again in a familiar pattern with the book of Samuel. And um, the, the book of Samuel starts again with a Hannah being barren, you know, yeah. and there's this hope. And I think we're, we're the fact that that's put in there, it should remind us yeah. of the former or the yeah. previous barren women. Yeah. And yeah. it should bring that to our minds. Oh, yeah. There's did. so many little threads that, that types that appear and, and are, it's supposed to cue in our expectations and our hopes. And we see God um, give birth, uh, help, uh, allowed Hannah to give birth to Samuel and Samuel establishes the Davidic kingship, um, which first there's first Saul and then God making a covenant with David and his particular line. Then the rest of the history all of the rest of the history traces that promise that God would set up a descendant of David. So we had descendant of, Adam, of, of Eve, right? And right. now the focus is Abraham. And then we know it's going to be somewhere from Abraham's line. And then an even narrower focus right. on the descendants of David. And then that's how Israel weighs their history. Right. It's through that family, the Davidic family. Right. And in the ancient Near East... I don't know, how many kings of the South? They were all David's sons. I think, as far as I'm aware, that is the longest dynasty in, ancient, in the ancient Near East. Wow. You see the Northern Kingdom, right. and they, they depose each other. Right. There will be a dynasty for a couple, maybe four generations, and then someone deposes. That is an unbroken dynasty, of, you know, all the way down to the, the deportation into Babylon. Mm -hmm. We see God's providence through a family again, and historically he, supported. And even though David had moments of faith, he also had moments of of sin. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. And it shows that David's faithfulness was not, at least it was not the primary reason mm -hmm. why uh -huh. something was being sustained. Yeah. I do think that there was some blessing in yeah. there. Yeah. And you see some other kings that because of their faithlessness... Yeah they're removed. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's about some st family story God's telling. And mm -hmm. even, even now, you know, people refer to the Messiah as the son of David. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And isn't that amazing? Just taking that idea that God would actually choose to identify his own son through a, a human family. Right. So let's let's remember the family of David. We have uh, Solomon, who made a lot of mistakes. We, David himself made a lot of mistakes. Uh, David's other son, Absalom, right? Big. All of this, God is choosing to identify with humanity. 
and oh, its man. brokenness. And I just think there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. That he would incorporate into his title as king. A human, now that, now that a you human say category. that, now that you say that, it's so it's so interesting that it's like if you were gonna make up a story and try to make it seem as epic as possible for God to send a, himself yeah. as a savior or or to save the day. I've never thought about this until this second. If you were gonna make it, not through that broken family line, uh-huh. and just say what might he do, he might form a human out of dirt and breathe into it. Like, and then that's the answer. Sure. Because it's like bypassing all the brokenness of the world. I'm going to do this myself. And that's how the Bible starts is yeah. that's, that's Adam. That's yeah. dirt man. Uh, but we know. don't see Christ coming as a, we don't see Christ coming, but we also don't see ourselves as back to our image yeah, bears. Sure. We oftentimes don't see ourselves as, Oh no, that's us. Right. He made us like that. Right. We, then there's brokenness and disobedience, false sin, but yeah, the redemption coming not through him saying, you know what? I don't. This isn't going well. I'm gonna make a new dirt man, <laughs> and he's never gonna. You know, it's like he came from that yeah. broken yeah. story yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah. And here's the weird part: we somehow participated in it. Yeah. That that's what boggles me yeah. about things where I, I when you hear humanity spoken of like an like a worm or just just the theology that would just un like I just don't see God looking at humanity with anything but willingness to participate. Mm-hmm. And um I just think it's profound. Uh you know, speaking of the broken families, I mean we could go back even to to one of the themes of that. Was it uh Samuel's sons weren't that great. Uh, David's sons weren't that great. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that challenges me as a parent when I see, when I have great hope in in things and in family, mm-hmm. at the same time, you'll have a faithful generation followed by an unfaithful generation. Right. What is it? Is it, who's... Uh, it just keeps going Manasseh's like that. dad. Is that Josiah or Hezekiah? I think it was Josiah. You I, got, sh- I should know me. that. Anyway, I know that as well. I'll, we'll confirm that. All the moment. all the all the names. I'm so bad with names. Even even just like people that I know, I see them on Sunday, and I go, I don't remember your name, but I remember that you're from Raleigh. Right, 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 right. You remember about so, hiking? That's, that's important. Knowing something about him. Yeah, knowing um, Manessa's dad isn't as name isn't important as knowing who that he was a good guy. But yeah, like the worst, one of the best kings of Israel. Uh, Judah, followed by one of the worst. Mm-hmm. What happened? Right. What did he do? You know, we see, uh, going back to Abraham, we see this kind of like neglect of, of Sarah kind of thing, and that theme kind of pop up again. We mm-hmm. see uh, the contention with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this deception kind of stuff yeah. happening. And it's to me, uh, you know, the biblical narrative is a, is, is a study on all the th- things that, can take shape as a result of family life. And, and I'm, I'm going to hope to talk to, uh, in, in a minute and address the idea that family life being spiritually formative. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just causes you to pause and hopefully reflect with humility that, you know, in, in Jesus's own genealogy, there are great and amazing parents and there are terrible, yeah, really misguided people. And, they're all part of the same family. And I, yeah. I think it just, 
it shows a testament to, I don't know that we, you know, it's, do we cause that as parents? Mm. Do the kids walk in that as a response? Anyway, it yeah, just, that's deep. Oh, you're, you're a pastor. You've heard the phrase pastor kid. Yeah. There's a reason that's there. I just, yeah. I, I don't know how to walk in that. Uh, right. Especially when, you know, when you, we know and love God, you know, I think parenting is one of those like really introspective things that I just, I feel like coming up over and over again as I learn how to discipline my three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. You know? Anyway. How's God going to use it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But God stepped into all of it. Right. Stepped into every bit of it and somehow redeemed our imperfect roles through partnering with all of that history, all that family history, all that family baggage to step into it and redeem it. You're right. In the New Testament, which is a fulfillment of promise, begins with genealogy. Yep. Which, you know, obviously if somebody doesn't know by now, we're leading to the, and it's Jesus, you know, but it's, (laughs) it's genealogy based, but where is this leading to? And I don't just mean Jesus, but where is that leading to? Yeah. You know? And, and so this, what does it mean to be in a family yeah. Through the filter of Christ. Yeah, I it's it's really interesting. I think in large measure that whole emphasis on the descendant and this family narrative and this genealogy, the meticulous recording of every generation that we see in the biblical narrative culminate in the person of Christ. And then what? So, and then what? What is the shape of family after Christ? So, we know this was heading. We, we talked about kinship. We talked about sonship. We talked about royal representation. We talked about the, the nature of humanity's original design. We see then that God himself, through the Son, stepped into it and redeems it yeah. through the human process, through the human, uh, you know, fill and multiply. How did Christ get here? through the human mandate. And what I find fascinating based on this conversation is that Jesus did not have children. Yeah. And so how is family on the other side? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you have you have some imagery of Jesus. You have, uh, we won't go there for the sake of time, but this mysterious guy, Melchizedek, <laughs> who <laughs> meets Abraham um, in this valley. And we don't know where he came from or where he went king of Salem, but we don't know where he was born. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone else, you see who their parents are, who their mm-hmm. descendants. This guy appears, doesn't seem to have a father, mother. Or, I mean, it doesn't say that, but he's just there. You don't know where he came from. And so Jesus almost ends up having, and I don't mean any disrespect as much as just a theological lens to see this through. I, you see Jesus as almost like a eunuch. Yeah. who does not yeah. have the ability even I'm not saying he didn't have the ability but did not have right offspring yeah. in the physical sense yeah. and yet was the fulfillment yeah. of all yeah. this offspring promise so if Jesus didn't have kids and therefore that's not what it means to be in the family of Christ what does it mean to be in the family of Christ oh, and what kind of family did he fulfill yeah oh man and you see that the you see Paul wrestle with this right you see the and church history wrestle with this so, like, um, I'm going to attempt to take a stab at that answer, but 
but I'm going to circle back around. Paul, I believe it's the letter to the Corinthians, describes singleness as a gift and family as a gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And there's something really profound about that because up until this point, um, you know, singleness is not, it's a pejorative in the biblical narrative because of the expectations no one wants for Christ. You. Right, right, kind right, of right. mindset. Yeah. And even in that, that worldview, like your name stops perpetuating, like mm-hmm. that would be equivalent of oblivion. <laughs> and pre-Messiah birth, it's, you need to make babies because one of them might yeah, be the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and so we we have this weird redirecting of the notion of family because Christ presents the fulfillment of family. Right. And then family is then recast a little bit. And I and I don't think it's in the same language as uh as physical family exclusively anymore. I actually know some people who have theological dispositions that believe that the advancement of the kingdom actually happens through the same mandate as before, that more Christians are born because Christian families have Christian kids. I don't know that I fully agree with that. I think Christian families can create Christian kids, but ultimately they can choose to reject Christ. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, there is, there is, you know, some people with that disposition. I don't see it quite that way. I, 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 I would not discourage, um, Christians from having families. This is really interesting. No, there's no reason to think that God stopped that when he said, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. He never said stop. Hey, it's over. Yeah. Right, right, right. But it's not quite the fulfillment version of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've, I've wrestled that in my own life because, um, you know, I, I went through the appropriate technology program and Mm -hmm. there was an emphasis on sustainability and population was a, was a big ethical issue. And, um, you know, it just started weighing on me like it, should I have more, like a lot of kids or not. And anyway, Mm -hmm. where, regardless of where you're at, in, in your own yeah. you know, disposition with that. Um, I, I believe God, uh, th- there's, there's nothing wrong about assuming that fruitfulness is still a blessing from God. There's so much language about that. And mm-hmm. Psalm, was it Psalm 127 about children being like arrows and the quiver mm-hmm. anyway. So I think, so, okay. Jesus didn't have a family, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a he didn't have a wife and a, and a, and a, and a kid. So, is that something Christians should do or shouldn't do? We see people split on this. And Paul Paul will uh, support both. And I think we need to talk about singleness as an option. It's not well supported in capital C church that this is a this is a godly lifestyle. Yeah. It's kind of like, what's wrong with you? You're getting old enough. Right. You know, um, and I think we should encourage those that have chosen to be single. But but that but that's this stage in church history. At other stages in church history, Singleness was like that's if you're really pious, that's what you do, mm-hmm. and um, so that I've wrestled with this because I, you know, in church history, uh, the idea that the people that were really serious about God went into the desert as single people, men and women, mm-hmm. into monasteries and nunneries, mm-hmm. and they spent their time in their cell, and they thought that the battle with with spiritual discipline and with learning to be close to God had to do with isolation. So, and we see, we see that there's great fruit from that. There are some people that have written amazing and wonderful and beautiful things about God. And if you look at their lifestyle, they were single. They weren't in family. So, um, what is there to learn about this? Is, do these two ideas, now that we see Christ as not a father, mm-hmm. 
now that we see Christ as uh, the fulfillment of all of this wasn't, he has a physical family, then the family is then shifted. And we see um, God talk about, the, the New Testament authors talk about the church as a family, as a body. Right. And, um, and the engrafting into this, this whole narrative that, that regard, we're not, dis, I'm not a descendant of Abraham. I'm, but I'm engrafted into that promise through Christ. And so then we are, uh, what is it, a spirit of a sonship. Uh, Romans, we cry with a spirit mm-hmm. of sonship. Yeah, let me, let me read that real quick. Romans chapter 8, um, verse 13, verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children. We are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs and co-heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. You see you see, this imagery, Father, Son, uh-huh. Spirit, uh-huh. which God has made himself known. Like you said, through yeah. the language of family, yeah. Father, Son, Spirit, and not to oversimplify the uh, nature of a triune God, uh, I can't understand it, let alone try to simplify it for I'm people. But, but, <laughs> to oftentimes we think Father sent Son, Son sent Spirit. Mm. That might be an oversimplification of it. But in in light of what we've been saying, Father sends Son because that's family. Uh-huh. Son didn't have a son. Son sent spirit. And a spirit of sonship. And a spirit of sonship in which we are co-heirs with that son. And so he didn't continue father and then son and then other son. Almost like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It Uh, was almost like Abraham, Isaac, spirit. Like father, son. And so what does it mean to be a part of the family of Christ? It's not you're born into the literal family genealogy of Christ. Mm. You are born again right? Of this born of the spirit, because that's what he, and this is going a little too far with the analogy, but that's what he birthed or that's what he sent next. Like his offspring was the family of God via spirit. Huh? Huh? And so we're invited in. And even though I, I believe it does matter to God, the physical, literal descendants of Abraham in a way that I barely understand. Sure, sure. There's promise there and, and covenant there. Sure, yeah. But there seems to be more and more and more value on not just bloodline, yeah. but even more yeah. so faith, family yeah. in Christ through the spirit. And therefore, it doesn't matter which bloodline you yeah. came for. It doesn't matter which race. Yeah. It doesn't matter which gender. Yeah. You're in the family through Christ. It doesn't mean that your race doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that your gender doesn't matter. But those are not what bring you in or eliminate you from that family of Christ. And I like that we have the crazy uncles. Yeah. And I think of the, (laughs) I think, I think of this married or or single as if there's a desert mother or a desert father, they're like, I'm going to be in solitude and isolation to connect with God in this way. And these disciplines, I say yes and, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I wouldn't yeah. say, no, you have to be, right. I'd say yes, we need that yeah. crazy aunt or uncle. Yeah. Uh, not that they're all crazy, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. And, right. And, and then we also need someone to say, um, 
healthy husband, wife, mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. be fruitful, multiply, mm-hmm. have a bunch of babies. Yeah. That's, they're all part of the, the, fa- the actual family. So yeah, I, I, in short, we're all adopted. There we go. Yeah. Which is more family talk. Christians are adopted, which is a posture of humility. We can't ever pay that back. We didn't earn this, but we have, through putting on Christ this rebirth, we are now born into a family that does, well, when we really think about it in the abstract, we all are related, but there's this new family bond. Yeah. And, um, and, and then it doesn't matter what family or, or age or, or, uh, ethnicity those things you know all are same in christ yeah but there's not a sameness in it that all of our distinctions dissolve no the families that i know that have adopted they're so in love like they love that kid so much and they 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 are their family but if you think about it that was simply a decision that they made they're not blood related but they're like they are family yeah absolutely 100 percent, no distinction family so it shows that it is possible yeah. to not be the exact same bloodline or physical whatever, and then just go, we are family. Right. That already right. exists, even outside of this, uh, the spiritual version of sure. that. But I think the spiritual version is the mo- the truest version sure. of it. Well, l- let's try to wrap up with, with this. What do we do? What okay. do we do with this information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... This has been a thought and a development of mine for a while because being burdened by the idea that, I mean, if anybody, so I'm talking to people that are in family mm-hmm. and you, and everybody, like in some way we're all in family, but particularly if you're a parent and you're like, okay, family's important to God. This is something that he designed as a category for us. We see this particular interest in family life in New Testament authors, the Germans are really good with coming up with biblical scholar terms, so we end up borrowing a lot of the language, but they're, they're called the Hostafels of the New Testament. It just hmm. means like house code or something like that. Okay. Um, but specific, specifically Ephesians chapter 5, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, uh, you know, interpretation aside, what it does, big pictures, Ephesians five twenty two through uh, 32, There's this term in biblical uh, studies called chiasm, and it means that the main points are kind of in the middle, and it works to the main point, mm. and then it backs out in okay. a parallel fashion. Okay. So, you know, we read Wives Submit to Your Husbands, and we're like, oh, I know what this is about. This is about this is about uh, men wanting to be in charge. And it's like, wait a minute, that's actually the most tangential point to what he's trying to get to. And what in the middle of that, so wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, in the middle of that... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, holy cleansing by her washing through the word, and to present himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And then it backs out again to relationship. Mm. And so I, here's, what, here's what I always say. Your family is a means to demonstrate, to step into the redemptive love of God in a way that is very tangible. Wow. You will experience the character and nature of God and understand it more if you press into, not away from your family. Wow. So I've started to view in contrast to the single, and that's a gift, 
It's a contrast to the monks that, that don't do traditional family life. They do the kind of the spiritual family life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those those communities are communities. They are and families. And you would say press into yeah, that. Yeah, press into that right. as well. But for those of us that are in traditional families, I have begun to view my own interaction with my family. The And gosh, I've just, you know, I, I told... I just mentioned I had an 11-month-old son and a three-year-old daughter, and we're, we're sleep training my son. And you're li- if you're wondering what on earth, how am I to cultivate a spiritual discipline? How is my life supposed to reflect? Uh, when am I going to do my Bible time? When am I going to mm-hmm. pray? I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm I'm having trouble learning discipline. I'm confused. I'm self-conscious. All of these emotions mm, spill yeah. out of parenting, yeah, yeah. and there's like no time to get a grasp on it because you just you're in it. Right. Um, uh, you know, that's like the first couple of years of marriage. It's like, you don't, you, you're in it. You gotta, you gotta figure it out. Yeah. And so I would recommend to those that are in family that are punctuated by family life that can't seem to get quite a grip on how it is that this plays into their spirituality. Right. Press into your family and view every opportunity as spiritual formation. Wow, the, the, the week. Yeah. Moments of the hours of the morning where your 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 son wakes up and they're they're, they're puke and uh, and and you have to change a diaper yeah. and then your daughter starts crying because your son is up and all this stuff and it's like how can I do this in the in our moments of weakness and in our moments of trial I think we just view this as a way to to be shaped and formed into a better. Parent, a better son, a better yeah. the categories of relationship we know God through. We're invited right. to participate in. So those. I wonder if we, if those moments, because you know we have kids as well. When you're like, I can't do this because I'm because of this other thing, yeah. because of the chaos. I wonder if in our moment of saying I can't do this, God's like, you are doing this. Yeah, <laughs> this is what it is. That, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's such a potent reminder every day of how inadequate we are when uh, when we're frustrated or we we d- deal harshly with our, our kids or whatever it's like we aren't perfect at this and yeah. we god if if this hostafel idea is true if paul's talking about something real we are actually invited to demonstrate god's love through the way we treat our, our kids through the way we treat our, our wives the way we, tre- we treat our husbands um uh that uh, whole relationship is a is a means for the redemptive activity of God to grow in us. And if we could view it that way, not legalistically, but if we could view it in a way that our response to our kids, our wives, uh, for wives, for your husbands, to be repurposed to fulfill our original co- our original design, which was to represent God. There we're we go. being invited into this. There we go. It's amazing. Well, that is a great place to stop because I think you just nailed it. I think you simplified the concept of family without sacrificing depth, which is always the goal. So thanks, man, for your time. I'd love to to have more conversations like this, pick some other topics, and I always enjoy these conversations. I'm honored. I'm honored. honored. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to Things About Things. You can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things.